Hello and welcome to the Novel Hand podcast, Activism Meet Impact. Today is Monday, March 22nd, and it is World Water Day. You may be wondering, what is World Water Day? Well, it's a day to think about the role of water in our society, and this year's theme is valuing water. You may not think about water a lot, but it's actually super important, and that's what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. I have Grace Adcox and Emma Fagan with me. We wrote an article together that's published today about World Water Day and how we view water and how that intersects with humanitarian issues. And so we'll each talk a little bit about our sections and what we've learned about water through a few different lenses. So Emma, I would love for you to start out and talk a little bit about what you've learned about water as a resource. Yeah, so I took a more earth systems approach to water because water is truly like everywhere on the planet. Um, We all kind of know when you look at a picture of the earth from space, it's mostly blue. There's water all over the place. But the ways that we can use our water and the ways that we do use our water are very various. And um, they definitely, um, there's a lot of challenges that come with water use. Most of our water on earth is salty. um, And so we can't drink or use a lot of it. Um, It serves Um, as a habitat and we can use it to transport goods across the ocean and things like that but we can't really drink ocean water Um, and then of the tiny amount that is available as fresh water most of that is locked up in glaciers where it's buried deep underground and so you can't exactly access it but fresh water is super important we all know we drink it we use it for sanitation like washing our hands and running sewer systems and things like that and it's used for irrigating crops and we play on it, you know, you swim, boat, things like that. So obviously like we can't really exist without water, but it is a very limited resource. I think one of the most surprising things I learned about water is that generally you think of, okay, water is a renewable resource. It is easily replenished and water is always flowing. If you think about the water cycle, evaporation, condensation, precipitation, right. it's always always moving, always flowing. I can see the picture in my head from like elementary school <laughs> of the water cycle. <laughs> exactly. And you think about it like that. Oh, of course, we always have water available. We can always be using it. In reality, water is not always renewable. Our groundwater, like our aquifers that you can sometimes hear people talking about, especially with California's water use and their irrigation, all of their crops. They get a lot of their water from aquifers underneath um, the surface of the planet, but those aquifers aren't as renewable of a water source. Groundwater takes a lot longer to replenish because it has to get down there. And when we use that up, it doesn't go right back in like we picture it doing. So as we use more and more groundwater, we're not using it in a renewable or sustainable manner. And that can present a lot of challenges just for water availability. And also when you take water out of the ground, that ground sinks. And so the land starts to get lower and lower and subside, which can in some areas produce a flooding risk, especially if you're in a coastal city and you're using more of that groundwater, um, the city will sink and then coastal flooding can occur more often. So. Wow. That is yeah. so much more complicated than I, than I Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Thinking about water use and, and where we're getting our water from, I typically think of water sources being things like natural springs and, and rivers that you know get processed safely. But thinking about the underground aquifers as being not as renewable as I would initially imagine is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then even outside of that, you also have 
water, even if it's being renewed and recycled through the water cycle, um, if that water gets polluted, you can't use it anymore like you would normally use it. So things like oil spills can really affect water, both in the ocean and also if there's um, like oil sands uh, or the tar sands up in Canada can really be, they can contaminate local rivers. And then that's a source of water that's no longer available um, for people. Or you have places like Flint, Michigan, when you, when you have contamination in your drinking water. Um, and so again, that disrupt the, disrupts the water cycle and you can't really use the water. Hmm. Yeah, those are some of the examples I was thinking about as hmm. I was approaching, not from an earth systems perspective, but from a, human's right, a human rights perspective with, with my portion of the article, I was thinking about Flint, Michigan. I was thinking about the Keystone pipeline and indigenous protests again, mm -hmm. you know, increasing these, these oil pipelines that, that could potentially harm our, our water access. And so I was thinking a lot about those specific examples and another specific examples as I was writing about water as a human right. And, and so I, I started at the, at the base point with international law and looking at the United Nations and their acceptance of access to water and sanitation as one of the basic human rights, something that is absolutely essential to everything that humans, animals, plants, and the planet needs to thrive. And, and not just something that we think about only as this, you know, exogenous, external uh, phenomenon thing that is, is impacting our lives as humans, but something that's just absolutely crucial to, to the functioning of the earth as a whole. And, and so thinking about that and also this theme for, for World Water Day of valuing water made me really consider, you know, what, what does it mean to say that we have access to water or access to sanitation? I think that it's quite stark that more than one in nine people lack access to safe drinking water in the world and two billion people, which is like one in four or between one in three and one in four don't have access to safe sanitation. Some of those challenges are, just seem incredibly pressing, especially as we think about the, the consequences of climate change and how those will continue to probably get worse over the next few years, especially if we don't take drastic action now. So this human rights-based approach, which is what the UN really emphasizes for, for member states to adopt, suggests that it's important to consider all the basic human rights in every step of development plans that states make. So water access should not only be something that's a given, but it should be sufficient. It should cover all your needs. It should be safe. It should be acceptable, meaning like you're willing to accept the, the water that you get instead of being like in the conditions of, of Flint, Michigan, where you know that there's lead in your water. It should be physically accessible instead of you know, having to walk hours each day to pick up your water and it should be affordable. I think that that's a really interesting element too that Alexa will probably get into later with, you know, looking at water futures and, and the privatization of water as being really interesting factors to, to think about um, as states are, are moving forward and, and hoping to, to uphold access to water as crucial parts of their development policies. And I think that one way that the UN attempts to go from just this really theoretical level of water is a basic human right to how do we make sure people have water access in their homes is through their sustainable development goals, which is something that um, Sydney wrote about a, a couple months 
go in, in the journal at Novel Hand. But the sustainable development goals, you know, cover a wide range of, of humanitarian issues. But I think that the sixth sustainable development goal, which is to ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all, is especially important when we're, when we're thinking about World Water Day. It's not just a matter of getting access to this safe, acceptable water, but it's about thinking more broadly how water is used in healthcare and, and how many healthcare facilities are experiencing a, a crisis where they have limited access to water during the COVID-19 pandemic. It, it means thinking about the funding gaps that exist, especially for lesser developed states, between their goals for expanding water access versus what they're actually able to do with the budgets they have. And it means thinking also about the impending climate refugee crisis, which is something I really care about. And the fact that we could see nearly 700 million people becoming displaced due to water scarcity, even by 2030, is something that I, I think absolutely needs to be at the center of the conversation. And especially when we think about how to address global partnerships that could, that could overcome some of these challenges that are, are faced all over the world. And I think that the further something I was considering is how the water crisis impacts us differentially. If you live in a well-developed Western state and you are of a middle to high income and you are a white person, the way that you experience the wider water crisis is going to look really different. It means that you'll probably have higher water bills for a while and not you know, personally experience very much. But for people that are not in those conditions, for people that are members of indigenous communities, people of color that are low income or that are women, all of these identities are going to be deeply tied to the consequences of the water crisis. I think that it's really important to, to look at how indigenous communities think about water as well as how they respond to threats to water as, as one potential way where um, we could see some solutions popping up from the people that are most impacted by uh, the water crisis. Further, I think that we have to consider the water crisis as being something that doesn't just impact your ability to drink water on a day-to-day -day basis, but something that could change your entire life. And um, I think that this is especially apparent for, for women who are often inherently tied to water by their roles in, in the household, by cooking and cleaning and, you know, engaging in healthcare and farming practices. This is like something that many women around the world consider as their, you know, primary tasks for the day because it's so time and energy intensive to go get water. And that means you don't really have time to go to school. And if you don't have time to go to school, then where are you going to get the basic education you need to, to get a job and to propel yourself uh, into a higher socioeconomic status? And instead, water access becomes something that contributes deeply to a vicious cycle of poverty. And that's something that I find really important for not only recognizing the consequences of the water crisis, but further thinking about who the most important stakeholders are in, in the solutions that we offer to the water crisis. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think your last point about stakeholders is really important because there are, you know, these different stakeholders such as people using the water, people who are who own land, obviously the government, and that's a little bit of what I'll get into of, you know, 
there are these different entities that have control of water and that honestly that value it differently. So my, what I looked into was water as a commodity and as an economic good, some more of that economic lens. And I think both Emma and Grace, your sections like lead really nicely into what I looked at. And this is maybe like the most like classic sense of valuing water is like putting um, a price tag on it. Um, and I think it's so interesting, Grace, that you talked about water as in relation to the SDGs, because that's like, if I thought about the UN and water, that's what I would think, like access to water and things like that. But I actually learned about this International Conference on Water and the Environment, happened in 1992. And the UN laid out like four or five principles about water and um, just sort of guiding principles on how, you know, different stakeholders should view water. And they did say, the water has an economic value and should be recognized as an economic good. And I think we're seeing like, yes, it does have value, but what does it mean for it to be an economic good? I think that can sound a little bit like, you know, something so valuable and so critical for life. Like how, how do we like put, even like actually put a value on that and like what, what role should it have in the economy? I think those are sort of big questions, especially when we're thinking about like solutions to some of the problems that, that we've talked about. And obviously water scarcity becoming an even more pressing issue in agriculture um, in industry, all those sorts of things. Um, and actually beginning this past December, waters were, water was basically sold as a commodity in the futures market. And this was just for California, which famously has had droughts and wildfires increasingly over the past several years. And so this sort of started last summer with those really bad wildfires and yeah, it's a little bit complicated and I don't want to get too much into the weeds of what a futures market is, but basically, you know, different stakeholders, whether that's municipalities, investors, farmers can buy and sell contracts for water in California. And I think that can sound like, oh, why, like, don't we sell gold as a commodity or gas as a commodity? Like, why should water be part of that? And really, it's explained as a financial tool for those who use water because the water is scarce, that, that market is pre pretty volatile. And so by being able to buy water kind of like ahead of time, it reduces some of that risk of price fluctuations for people who are buying and using water. And no physical water is actually traded. It's not like you buy water in the futures market and somebody like shows up in a truck and just like has all your water there. <laughs> it uh they're like contracts for water and so i found a really great article article from the pacific institute that explains it pretty well but it is like whoa to be like trading water on the stock market i mean when you hear about that you're like okay i don't really like it but it's really designed to help those who use water and it it hasn't been super popular yet there haven't been a ton of trades but i think it's something that could grow especially as we're facing a world of more scarcity, but more generally, um, I think from an economic lens, we can look at water as both a, as a public good or a, or a private good. And public goods and economics are things that are non-excludable and non-rivalrous. Basically, that just means that everyone has access to it. And if I use this good, it doesn't lessen somebody else's availability to it. So things like knowledge, things like libraries, a lot of goods air. like provi provided to the, yeah, air, you know, just because I breathe air doesn't mean that Grace can't. Um, and just hopefully just because I use water doesn't mean that Grace and Emma can't either. So that's like one way to look at water is as a public good. 
But then the other way to look at it is as a private good, which means like it's privately owned by a company or some other entity, has to be purchased to be consumed. The sort of most important perhaps part of a private good is that it's scarce and so does have value because it's scarce. And I think we can say water represented represent, represented in that as well. But we get to this point where, okay, water is scarce, but should something that's so basic to life that is, I would agree is a human right, should it be privatized and like subjected to fluctuations of the market? You know, who should have control of it? Should it be the government or should it be private corporations? Valerie had a great article about what, what that privatization of water has looked like in Indonesia. And so I would recommend checking that out. I talk about it a little bit in our article today, but um, yeah, I think that this perspective on water is, is unique because it does try to put a price tag on something that you you really can't because it's essential to life. But I think that asking some of those questions um, opens up new questions, but also forces us to to really think about, um, you know, how as a society can we work together and how can these different viewpoints like help us to better use water and to make it yeah more sustainable, more equitable, all of those things. I just, I feel like I didn't know very much about this whole water as futures process and what water as a private good looks like, because I've, I'm just in my head thinking through what happens if we privatize other things that we consider to be public goods, like privatizing access to air as things get more polluted. What does that look like? You know, yeah. and I, that's like an extreme example because it would be really silly to put a quantifiable price on, on something that's just all around us, but it, it certainly seems like there's a, a lot of directions this could go and, and some far reaching ramifications of any decisions made about considering water as, as a public versus private good, um, considering whether we should trade access for public goods on, on some sort of artificial market um, in order to, to look at the, the way we value water over time. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it makes you wonder, like, how would that shift, like, create further problems? Like, maybe that is potentially overcome some of the collective active uh, collective action issues that we have, too, in terms of managing our common resources. It's a I think it's a, a fine balance for sure. And I'm glad that you wrote on this this week because I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What's to sort of wrap up what like with this theme of valuing water? From what you wrote about, like, how has that changed what you think about the value of water, not just for yourself, but like for marginalized communities, for the earth? Like, how has, how has writing about this topic changed how you value water? I think for me, it's changed it from like water being, being some sort of like magic resource that's always available and always like, oh, if there's so much of it and I can always keep using it to something that's like, okay, we do need to like really manage how we use this sustainably. And yeah, cause it is a precious resource that we have. Um, and with more and more people on the planet and more and more just ways that we are gonna wanna use water in the future. I think that, I think learning to value it more and recognize that like water does indeed have a lot of, when, when you don't have water, you know, you don't have water and it suddenly becomes a lot more valuable to you. So yeah, learning to, I think, recognize that value instead of just treating water as some sort of like thing that you just don't even really think about at all is gonna become more important in the future. 
I completely agree with you, Emma. I, I found myself today, like standing in front of my sink, just flipping it on to, to get my cup of water uh, before a meeting. And that's something that's not accessible to so many people. And, and reading this week, I knew that there was a water crisis. I knew that tons of people lacked access to this basic thing that I take for granted. But I just, I, I feel like I, I learned so much about the scope of the issue that, that I didn't know before. And further, I think by taking this human rights perspective and, and looking at how the water crisis differentially affects different populations, I was able to see that the value of water is going to look very different for, for people in, in different parts of the world. For you to walk, you know, miles and miles and miles, spend hours a day going to collect water, your valuation of water looks really different than mine, where I, you know, am in such a privileged position that I just get my bill from the water company each month and, and pay it off. And I have steady, consistent access within, you know, several feet of my bedroom. Like that's something that, that I found myself really weighing today um, as I was thinking about this article, as I was thinking about this podcast, you know, recording with, with both of you. So that's really where I was thinking about the value of water. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm with you guys there. I think obviously the value of water for one individual person isn't changing, but certainly the price of it and like how much certain populations have to think about that is is going to rapid is changing and will rapidly change and I like I really value a lot of the tools of economics but I am certainly hesitant to apply some of those uh, to something as important as water and something that really you know should be accessible I mean I think there's so many things that should be accessible that that aren't and that's you know, goes back a little bit to the human rights approach, but things like justice and things like that, like should be, you know, health, education should be accessible. And we all value them, you know, at a certain point, but sometimes we're forced um, to value them more when, when they're not accessible. Right. And yeah, I'm, I really enjoyed writing this article and looking at it from, from different perspectives. I think that gave me like a much like more complete view of of water just like as as a as a thing i don't know <laughs> so thanks so much guys this was really fun um thank you for having us yeah i would encourage everyone listening to read the full article there's a lot more there and tons of links to articles that we mentioned from novel hand um, and the sources that we learned from if you want to dig deeper with that thanks for listening and that is the end of today's episode